Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Glad to be with you again as we move through another week here in Texas agriculture. Well, the sugarcane aphids had made their march across Texas, so it's a good idea to get out and scout your sorghum fields. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. And from time to time, we like to tell you about new products. We came across a new Bermuda grass herbicide. If you're trying to grow nice, clean Bermuda grass fields, you might want to take a look at this. We'll have more on it coming up in just just a bit. My name's Carrie Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Heading into the fall, the forage situation for Texas High Plains cattle looks pretty good. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Hurricane Ida missed Texas, but the state's residents need to keep an eye on the tropics during the month of September. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Sugarcane aphids have made their march across Texas this year and can be found just about anywhere there is growing sorghum. BASF Technical Services Representative Adam Hickson says it doesn't matter what stage of growth your sorghum is in, it's all susceptible to sugarcane aphid damage. Oh yes, I made a big round yesterday, uh, went up to uh, north of Hereford, came back down through uh, Plainview and, uh, and back to Lubbock, and uh, I was able to find sugarcane aphids in almost every uh, sorghum field that I, that I uh, looked at. So. I looked at actually a pivot north of Hereford that had a a sorghum crop that was already headed out, and then it had a sorghum crop that was probably about knee high on me, and I was able to find sugarcane aphid in both. And so that's what I'm really concerned about is that we have sorghum at all different maturities, and uh, they are really starting to build. I'm finding some pretty heavy populations. Uh, around the Lubbock area right now. And uh, I do know that uh, growers are making some applications. So yeah, we're really getting a start on that part of the year. And I I think we really need to be mindful of uh, scouting our fields and making sure that we're looking under the canopy because you may not notice them. If you're starting to see honeydew, if you're starting to see glistening on those leaves, uh, you know, it may be a little bit even too late to make that application. So we really need to pick up those leaves and look and see if we're seeing uh, sugarcane aphids in our fields. Hickson says he's seen aphids in practically every field he's visited in the Lubbock area. Farmers in southeast Texas have an educational event coming up in a few weeks with a packed agenda. Current issues facing Texas farmers and ranchers and an economic outlook will be the focus of the Southeast Texas Ag Summit 
scheduled for September 30th and October 1st in Baytown. Shannon Dietz, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension agent for Harris County, says the event is open to everyone and will cover a variety of topics. We're going to follow four different educational tracks and attendees will be able to choose to follow those if they want or go to a variety of classes. But those tracks are going to focus on beef cattle production and management, range and pasture management, conservation of natural resources and farm safety and management. There'll be a variety of speakers and subject matter being covered in each one of those. In addition to those, we will also have outdoor classes. A link to register is available on today.agrilife.org. Simply search Southeast Texas Ag Summit. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. A lot of Texas cattlemen will be planting ryegrass this fall for winter grazing. But if you're trying to produce high-quality summer Bermuda grass... That ryegrass can get in the way come springtime. Ryegrass can be utilized, you know, a lot of times, and it works. There's a lot of people that overseed ryegrass. But I think the thing that we look at, if you're looking for a high-quality Bermuda grass, you really don't want the ryegrass in your field, right? So it's, it competes when it wakes up in the, in the spring when the Bermuda grass is coming out of dormancy. It's competing with that ryegrass that's going in maturity. So that ryegrass is stealing your, your, uh, your moisture. Also, fertilizer, you know, has a cost to it, and the ryegrass is eating your fertilizer, too. So that's really keeping you away from the quality of Bermuda you want, to, you want to produce. That's Brian Kane with Bayer Range and Pasture. He's based in Waxahachie. He says his company has a new product that can keep your Bermuda grass fields free of ryegrass in the spring. It's called Resilon. So Resilon's a pre-emergent product, and really for the use around uh, our perennial warm season grasses. So we're really targeting... Mainly, mainly Bermuda grass, but the idea, the product use is for for the control of small seeded annual grasses and broadleafs, so they don't compete with the Bermuda grass for quality. And that's what I'd say about Resilon. In terms of chemistry, it's the foundation for quality. Kane says an application of Resilon right now will keep your Bermuda grass free of any ryegrass competition come springtime. Our application timings are now August. For our cool season, so it's a pre-emergent, so we want to get it in the ground, get water, take it down, so it's prepared for that ryegrass that's going to germinate uh, and control it so the Bermuda grass doesn't have to compete with it. And then, same same thing, uh, we're going to do that in, in uh, January for the warm season annuals, and, and I think that's the biggest difference is uh, ease of application and length of residual that's in the soil for protection. Brian Kane with Bayer Range and Pasture. He's based in Waxahachie, Texas. The forage situation for Texas High Plains cattle producers looks pretty good heading into the fall. James Hunt takes a look from Amarillo. Here's what Texas A&M AgriLife beef cattle specialist Jason Smith has to say about grazing conditions. Relatively speaking, as we head into the fall, the forage situation looks really, really good right now on the Texas High Plains. We received some timely rainfall, some timely much-needed rainfall that supported quite a bit of growth in our warm season perennial forages that dominate our native prairie and range landscape. And so the forage situation right now looks really good. Now, along with those rains came quite a bit of wheat pressure. So, you know, a lot of pastures, we do see quite a bit of wheat that maybe we wouldn't normally see or have gotten quite a bit more growth out of than we would normally receive. Dr. Smith says most of the weeds he's talking about can be toxic, but he says if ranchers are managing their herd populations well, the weeds should not be too much of a concern. Cattle do a pretty good job of 
not eating what they shouldn't eat when they have the option to eat something else. And so in situations where we don't force cattle to consume those types of plants, they typically either won't consume them or they won't consume them uh, at a level that's going to be problematic. Uh, and so the big thing is to avoid overstocking, avoid forcing cattle to eat things that they would not necessarily choose to eat on their own if they did indeed have a choice. Uh, and so provide them with the opportunity to selectively graze the majority of the time, those risks are very small or even completely go away. In tomorrow's report, we'll hear more from Dr. Smith on ranch preparations for the fall. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Thankfully, Texas avoided the wrath of Hurricane Ida. Tom Nicoletti visits with a Fort Worth meteorologist about the storm. Farmers, ranchers in the rural regions on and near the Texas coast, and along with residents in suburban and urban metropolitan areas, were fortunate that Hurricane Ida stayed much further east. Unfortunately, residents of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, plus other regions, are not so fortunate. National Weather Service meteorologist Tom Bradshaw joins us from Fort Worth. And uh, Tom, let's uh, recap this uh, hurricane. It uh, wasn't as bad as uh, Katrina, but certainly a lot of devastation. Absolutely. Good to be with you again, Tom. And certainly, uh, state of Texas uh, definitely dodged a bullet with Ida. Unfortunately, Louisiana was not nearly as fortunate. This was a Category 4 storm that made landfall um, on the, the southeast coast of Louisiana, uh, southwest of New Orleans. Tracked just to the west of New Orleans after it made landfall and, and dumped anywhere from 10 to 20 inches of rainfall across a good part of eastern Louisiana. Knocked out power to virtually all of the eastern and southern portions of the state of Louisiana knocked out water supplies, uh, widespread devastation, obviously, with the storm. Hearts go out to the people of Louisiana, uh, but it was uh, obviously fortunate the state of Texas was able to dodge this storm. So looking ahead to September for Texans, uh, what's the weather forecast uh, calling for and what they need to watch out for? Well, obviously, uh, tropical weather is certainly something that we need to watch out for this time of the year. As far as just general rainfall and temperature trends, we look like we are going to expect... anywhere from normal to above normal uh, amounts of rainfall across a good part of the state of Texas during the month of September. Temperature-wise, generally in the 80s and 90s across a good part of the state of Texas. That is National Weather Service meteorologist Tom Bradshaw. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has confirmed another case of chronic wasting disease. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And there's a new tool to help stocker and feedlot operators determine which calves need treatment for respiratory disease. Dr. Bob Judd will tell you all about it coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau Insurance has protected fellow Texans with auto, home, health, and life insurance since 1952. With more than 260,000 square miles of land and 27 million people, that's a lot to cover. Whether you're wrangling cattle or wrangling kids, we're proud to protect Texans in all Texan ways of life. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to get insurance for Texans by Texans. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. 
Pulling sick calves is not an easy task. In fact, there's a real art to it. And whether you're in a feedlot or if you're a stocker operator dealing with a bunch of fresh sale barn calves, well, there's a new tool out there now to help you determine which calves actually are sick and need treatment. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells more about it. It is difficult to determine which calves need to be treated for bovine respiratory disease upon arrival at a feedlot or stocker operation. Because of this, many times all calves are treated with antibiotics and some don't need to be treated, which wastes money and could increase resistance to antibiotics. Merck Animal Health has this new technology that analyzes animals' lung sounds, heart sounds, temperature and weight, and then uses an algorithm to analyze the data and gives a treat or no treat answer to the rancher. In one study, by using the Whisper on Arrival tool on calves arriving at the feedlot and treating accordingly, the group that used the Whisper on Arrival technology had less calves die and also used 11 to 43% less antibiotics. So treatment costs were less and less calves died. The Whisper on Arrival tool is a sound collection device that is shaped like a paddle. Once the calf is in the chute, the device is placed just behind the elbow on the right side of the chest and transmits data wirelessly to a chute-side computer. The operator takes the animal's temperature and inputs that data along with the weight and data retrieved by the tool, and all of this is analyzed by using an algorithm and a treat-or-no-treat decision is revealed. By using this tool, many calves, which would normally be given antibiotics when arriving at the feedlot, may not need to be treated. This saves the rancher or feedlot manager lots of money and also helps to decrease the use of antibiotics, which can contribute to antibiotic resistance. I'm Dr. Bob Judd, and this is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has confirmed another case of chronic wasting disease. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. Just one day after the Texas Parks and Wildlife Commission approved the creation of new chronic wasting disease surveillance and containment zones, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department confirmed another case of the fatal neurological deer disease that those zones are designed to contain. This latest case of chronic wasting disease was found in a deer breeding facility in Duval County in the Rio Grande Valley. It is the first case of CWD in the county. TPWD reports the disease was confirmed after samples from the deer were submitted by the breeder as part of a required surveillance program. All of the deer at the facility have been secured, and state officials say they plan to conduct additional investigations at the facility. To curb the spread of the disease, deer breeding facilities that have received deer from or shipped deer to the facility over the past five years are now under movement restrictions. TPWD and the Texas Animal Health Commission are working to determine the extent of the spread of CWD within the facility and the threat, if any, it poses to wild deer populations. CWD affects members of the cervid family, including white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, and moose. It is a slow, progressive disease. Infected animals may live for years without showing any outward symptoms, all the while shedding CWD prions in the environment that may infect other susceptible animals. In the late stages of the disease, you may notice changes in deer behavior and appearance, including weight loss, stumbling or tremors, excessive thirst, loss of appetite, teeth grinding, abnormal head posture, and or drooping ears. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. 
The weakness continues in the cattle market, both live and feeder cattle finishing lower on Tuesday. We also saw a big drop in cotton and the lower corn market. We'll take a closer look at all of our livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex just can't seem to get any traction here over the last couple of weeks. We pulled back and closed lower once again on Tuesday in both live and feeder cattle. October live cattle dropping $1.42 to close at $126.90. The December down $1.20. One thirty-three forty-seven. Same story on feeder cattle. September feeders down a dollar five. One sixty-three even. October feeder cattle down a dollar twenty. One sixty-seven seventy-five. November feeders down eighty-seven cents. One sixty-nine sixty-five. Cash-fed cattle trade still quiet on Tuesday. We did see a report of one sale of some high-quality cattle out of Nebraska. They brought one thirty. Everything else, however, seems quiet. Asking prices up north at 125. No asking prices reported here down south. Boxed beef on Tuesday, higher with choice up 36 cents, 343.14. Select up 206 at 314.61. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear the auctioneer sound off on a Monday, it's time to talk about the Thursday sale in San Angelo. Let's go to my compadre, Jody Fry. Jody Fry, how'd that thing turn out? Went good. Bounced back from last week's low numbers. Uh, 1,030 was the total today. Had a good many better quality cattle on offer. Uh, compared with last week's sale, those better quality kids in Yearlands, calling those kind of 2 to $4 higher. Continued strong demand on those. Slaughter cows, they were on the lower side. Uh, as much as 3 to $5 lower, most of that decline coming on the thinner flesh cows and those lightweight slaughter cows. Slaughter bulls, uh, those kind of trading $1 to $3 lower. Your steers, your better quality steers, weighing four to 600 pounds from 135 all the way up to a high of 185. Mostly 145 to 160. Six to 800 pound steers from 115 up to a high of near 160. Mostly 125 to 150. Better quality heifers, 4 to 600 pounds from 120 up to a high of 160. Mostly 130 to 145. Slaughter cows, average to high yielding from 51 to 65. Still had some of the highest yielding slaughter cows from 66 all the way up to a high of 76. Some thinner and lower yielding cows today, anywhere from 36 to 48. Slaughter bulls, average to high yielding from 70 to 86. Had a few of the highest yielding slaughter bulls from 88 to 94. Cow-calf pairs, just a few of those on offer trading from 950 to a high of 1325. How do you feel about next week? I think more of the same. Sheep and goat numbers, you know, we, we nearly crept up to that 6,000 head again. Cattle probably too, somewhere in this range of, of 900 to 1100 head. Jody, tell everybody how to contact you. You bet. 325-653-3371. My mobile phone would be 234-7895. Neighbor, that's it for Walking the Pins, a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm your host, Larry Marble. I'll be back tomorrow with a glass of sweet tea. 
Thanks, Larry. Now let's jump back over to the futures market where lean hogs closed lower on Tuesday. October hogs dropped $1.35, 8880. December down 77 cents, 81.95. Class three milk was higher. September milk up nine cents, 1675 a hundredweight. Hurricane Ida has had very little effect on the cotton market this week. In fact, the market's moved lower ever since the storm made landfall. One reason may be the fact that we've just got an excellent crop out there right now. On Monday, USDA reporting that 70% of the U.S. cotton crop rated good to excellent. When you contrast that with the 10-year average, we're around 47% good to excellent, usually on average at this time of year. So you can see just how much better this crop is compared to the average pace. That seems to be weighing on prices with October cotton dropping 170 points on Tuesday, 93.91. December cotton dropped 170 also. It closed at 92.53 cents. The corn market, however, is paying attention to the after-effects of Ida. Traders fearing that the Gulf export facilities along the Mississippi River may be impacted by the storm and could lead to a sharp slowdown in exports from the New Orleans ports. We close with September corn down six and a quarter at 5.34. December corn down eight and a half, 5.34 and a quarter. Not much movement in the wheat market. We have some contracts higher, some contracts lower. We'll look at the new crop July contracts. July 22 hard red winter wheat up three and a quarter, seven ten and a half. July Chicago wheat up nine cents, seven twenty four and a half. Rough rice closed lower. September down three, thirteen thirteen a hundredweight. November soybeans down ten and three quarters, twelve ninety two and a half. September soybean meal down $1.20 at three forty-six forty a ton. In the energy markets, October natural gas up seven at four thirty-eight. October crude oil down seventy-eight cents, sixty-eight forty-three a barrel. The financial markets slightly lower with the Dow down thirty-two points, thirty-five thousand three eighty-seven. The Nasdaq down six, fifteen thousand two fifty-nine. The S&P down four points at four thousand five twenty-four. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.